This is the Gartner CIO Mind Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of CIO Mind. I'm Rob O'Donoghue. I'm Ed Gabris. And I'm Iyata Trolley. So with in-person conferences now back in full swing, we're hearing such positive things from the interactions with analysts and from the clients that are in attendance. Getting back up on stage and sharing the latest research is a real buzz for everyone. One that's been happening recently is the Data and Analytics Summit, and the feedback from it has been really powerful. I'm very excited to going back on stage and meeting clients in person. And on the data and analytics front, I'm hearing a lot of questions from our clients on how they can use data and analytics to navigate the complex decisions they have to make because of the uncertain world that we live in. And specifically, they're asking about, do we have tools, methods that they should use to build an organization that can make better decisions? Yeah, it's, it's all really interesting. And as you guys know, I talk to Gartner clients about soft skills and personal influence. So Rob, when you told us you were talking about DNA for this episode, I was really curious about that angle, that angle on influence. Because we've seen that DNA practices can have a direct impact on how organizations influence and impact society. And look, in a world where a majority of companies already see social polarization as one of the largest risks to their business, that is just one example of how DNA really is and needs to be top of mind for CIOs. Well, I have some great news. We'll cover both of these topics in today's panel discussion, where you'll hear from Frank, Deborah, and Gareth, who presented the opening and closing keynote from the DNA Summit. They share some very interesting perspectives that CIOs should be mindful of relating to data and analytics. I started by asking them to talk about the opening keynote and how it was important for and has implications for CIOs specifically. So let's talk a little bit about the opening keynote. I know that the main topic or focus was around decision making. Can you talk a little bit about the thrust of the, the keynote and how it has implications for CIOs specifically? Hi, I'm Gareth Herschel. Uh, I was the lead author for the 2022 opening keynote for the Data and Analytics Summit. The opening keynote, we, we focused on a number of topics, including decision-making. We also wanted to focus on you know data and analytics, uh, as well as governance. The key point for the CIO was you know different depending on the the aspect we were looking at but it goes back to this issue of you know what's my what's my role what's my contribution i think when you look at the the data piece you have a lot of focus on helping the organization understand and think about what the most important data is for them um so not just a quest for completeness um of looking at every single application across the entire it portfolio and saying you know what data is it generating and what should we do with it um, but really thinking about what insight does that specific data give us that we should be using elsewhere. Um, I think from an analytics perspective, there was a lot of focus on you know, who is responsible for creating some of the analysis. And there's a broader shift that we're seeing within the data and analytics world of you know business technologists creating composable data and analytic applications rather than having being a very IT-specific responsibility. So IT needs to figure out how to work with the rest of the organization to build out those data and analytic um, solutions rather than you know being the responsible party for all of them. You mentioned decision making, and I think that is absolutely key. And I think that's 
you know, for a lot of organizations, just as decision-making is the bridge between data and analytics and a business outcome, which is obviously what we're there to achieve, you know, the IT systems are the technical bridge between the insights that a lot of data and analytic organizations create um, and the way they're actually operationalized and deployed into the business. They're deployed through business applications. They're deployed through operational systems. Um, and I think that's where IT has a huge role to play um, in that activity as well. Hi, I'm Deborah Logan. I have been here for 22 years, and I was had the privilege of delivering the keynote that Gareth wrote in the 2022 Data and Analytics Summit. Well, here's one that will do your hearts good if you're a CIO. Being asked to save all the data, right? Your expense that no one pays attention to, right? That's a big expense, and we're seeing it now externalized in the cloud. Your budget, you know, make a decision about whether or not this data is useful. You know what? No. And keeping everything. I love the small data, big data thing. You know, big data, of course, is a thing, you know, and, and it's going to be a thing from now on. It's going to get bigger and bigger. We know that. But I really like the bit, Gareth, that you delivered about how sometimes small data is what you need. And it answers the questions that you want to have answered. And I thought that was a, a good insight to give our audiences. So not everything's big data. And you need to apply your your decision making skills, you need to help people to understand what, you know, what data is important, and so on. That's just a great idea. Not anymore, save it all. And you know, we'll sort it out when the magic technology comes, because the magic technology never comes. Okay. And you know that CIOs, I mean, CIOs know that better than anybody. Hi, my name is Frank Bouterdijk. I've been with Gartner since like forever. Um, I cover data and analytics, digital ethics, and I'm the co-lead of the Gardner Futures Lab. For me, it was the point of um, becoming a decision designer, a decision engineer, if you, if you will. For those who are listening that have been in the field for like many years, you probably remember that our field used to be called like decision support. And if we look back at that now, I think we can come to the conclusion that it never was decision support. It always was data support. Here's an insight, here's a report, here's a dashboard, here's stuff to look at, and then do your decision thing or whatever it is, how it works. Data and analytics professionals were really never involved in, in the decision-making process. And there's this embryonic and emerging role right now, the one of the decision engineer that helps moderate decision-making processes from from a data and analytics perspective. And decision support, we're basically reinventing decision support for what it always uh, should should have been, being deeply into understanding how decision-making within large and complex organizations or in, in small and straightforward organizations, how that works. Frank, and, and maybe Gareth, you, you might have dived into this in more detail on the actual keynote. I remember seeing there was, when you're re-engineering that decision-making process, there is three types involved. Is that something you could elaborate on a little bit? There are three classic ways that uh, we see organizations helping organizations apply data and analytics to making better decisions. And broadly speaking, you can categorize them into three groups, decision support, which is really about providing data and insight to the decision maker, but it's really the responsibility of the decision maker to make their own decision about what data and analysis to use and, and what decision they're going to reach. Decision augmentation uh, which is really where you have the data and analysis providing you know, a recommendation to the decision maker 
Um, but the decision maker is to varying degrees free to accept or ignore that recommendation. And then decision automation, which really takes the human out of the immediate decision-making loop. The data and analytics system is, is both recommending and executing the particular decision. And then the human is involved after the decision has been made to review it, make sure that the decisions are being made appropriately uh, and the desired outcomes are being reached. But the, uh, the human is always involved. It's just at varying stages. Um, and it's important to recognize that all three are valid. Um, so although you almost always would start with decision support, you know, the, the eventual goal may not be decision automation. Um, you know, decision support, decision augmentation may be perfectly um, both feasible and valid uh, and appropriate uh, for certain types of decision. Frank, would you add anything to that? Looking at decision-making from a DNA perspective and thinking where do we need support, where do we need augmentation, where do we need automation, I think that is the an anatomy of decision-making that's going to be very helpful in the years in the years to come. Just to close out on the takeaways from the keynote, in the preparation for that, have and had you interactions with any CIOs looking at case studies, any examples from CIOs that spring to mind, how they've be taken on board some of this uh, re-engineering of decision-making already? Anything jump out there for, for any of you? We actually have a number of case studies on uh, on Garter.com in the space. There's there's one around decision intelligence that I that I specifically uh, would recommend to uh, to look at. That is based on what the work of a company called Iron Mountain is doing. And so they use some machine learning to figure out whether they are, there are certain patterns in people who don't pay their invoices on time. And uh, they found some patterns, and they've put this into uh, prescriptive analytics in the, uh, in the uh, accounts receivable process, where uh, after five days, when the, the patterns start to appear, they um, either follow up with an email or with a phone call and say, like, hey, something like, um, um, just checking that the invoice arrives, everything fine, any questions about it. And um, they have significantly re- reduced the, the day sales outstanding on their invoices of peeping, pe- people paying their, their invoices on, on time, something like, like in the tenths of percentages of, of improvement there. And I think that that is an example of, of a very like a decision-making process on a very operational level that can be translated very directly in uh, in concrete business outcome. There was a case study that we talked about in the keynote um, of the uh, Brussels uh, transit company uh, or organization. Uh, they did some really outstanding work uh, around analyzing data to improve the, the reliability of their transport infrastructure. Um, and the, the most interesting aspect and the reason I chose to include them in the keynote was that the findings that they had really and the success that they had really came from the connections that they built at a personal organizational level between different parts of the organization rather than the analysis, right? This wasn't a data-driven, numbers-driven operational decision in the way that kind of the Iron Mountain example that Frank gave. Instead, what they had done was some great data and analysis, but that drove them to make personal connections. And that's where the real value came from. One that comes to my mind and something that I think CIOs have wanted for a long time is for the business to take some responsibility for their data, um, you know, because they're the ones who use it, right? So there's a case study about data stewardship, and I think it really summarizes the, the working together theme. And it also gives you insight into the kinds of people, because I've been in this game a long time, right? So let's go appoint data stewards. 
right? But not everybody wants to do that sort of thing. And, and what this case study says is there are people who, are, who would like to do that work, and it's fine that data stewards don't create data stewards, if you see what I mean. And so finally, with this idea of data stewardship and ownership, I believe that that you know, gives the CIO, takes away things that, that honestly have been very difficult to do in the past because the data is used for what it's used for in the domain, in the business. So that's the case study that I think is, I would cite here. So switching over to the closing keynote and just maybe some takeaways from that, I know this was very much focused on beyond business and into society and looking at social topics. Frank, can you talk a little bit about that? And again, how can this be of particular interest to CIOs? Yeah, so um, it's the, the topic applies pretty much to every role in the business, whether you're very specifically a data analytics leader or a CIO or a marketing or an HR executive or CEO. But um, um, we learned from the board of directors survey that 57% of the respondents labeled um, social polarization as the, the largest risk to the business that is to be, to be considered. And um, you need to do something uh, with that as an organization, uh, and certainly also from a data analytics perspective. Um, data analytics function, the data analytics function is the sense in the sense and respond mechanism of an organization. And the data sources um, to consider, to figure out what is playing in society, what the impact is on the business may be unconventional, um, but certainly not less interesting. So it was a plea, this presentation, for looking into unconventional themes that affect the business and make, um, and make an impact there as a data analytics leader. It also works the other way around. Um, the impact that an IT function has on society. Would we have had a conversation about IT or data analytics, uh, let's say 20 years ago, then it would have been very clear that uh, with, with technology and with data, you're in the middle of the operations of an organization. Then we moved forward and into the era of, uh, of digital business, the last, uh, 20, the last 10, 10 or odd years or something like, like that. Now, IT and data, technology and data is in the middle, not just of the operation, but of the business itself, hence the idea of digital business. And um, what we see now with, with data and technology being so pervasive, essentially and around the world, and the impact that it has on our daily lives, uh, technology and data sits in the middle of, of societal impact on how we live our lives as well. And organizations have a responsibility to treat uh, the, the technologies and the data that, that, that they use and the data that they collect to treat that in a responsible way. And the voice of society uh, will not hesitate and call you out on that. So society has a big influence on an organization and, and IT needs to uh, have the, the, the sense mechanisms in order to feed that into the executive process. And technology and data has a huge impact on society. The, the relationship goes both, both ways. And that's what we explored uh, during that, um, that keynote uh, using a very interesting technique called uh, scenario planning. Yeah, and in particular on the scenario planning piece, Frank, because this is an area I'm focused on and some of the work I'm doing at the moment. Could you give it just an example on one of those future scenarios that come, come out of that, maybe particularly, again, with a CIO in mind, that can help illustrate it? Yeah, so scenario planning is a pretty structured process in order to come to 
some reasoned approach to which different futures there can be. I mean, we have don't we don't have any data about the future. All we can do is imagine it, but we can do that in a structured and methodological approach. And so following the process, we ended up with two uh, what we call critical uncertainties. Uh, one critical uncertainty is where do we think society will go? Will society further unite around a couple of social themes or will uh, society further fragment and um, and care about many different uh, things and, and different things all the time. And the second critical uncertainty that we found was about the voice of society. We know that the voice of society is getting louder, but do we think that the voice of society will become more decisive? Or do you think that the voice of society will become more inconsequential? We, we all talk that we want more organic food, and then we go out and buy the cheapest chicken anyway. And if you combine those two critical uh, uncertainties with those two endpoints, you get four powerful scenarios. And uh, we gave them names. Uh, one was called Get With The Program, and the other one's called Play To Your Purpose. And then there was Mind Your Own Business. And then the fourth one is called Wait For It. And they're all... They're all four very powerful stories that describe a plausible future. The, the idea is not that one of them comes true. The idea for, uh, for, for, for people is to um, future test their strategies and see how their strategic initiatives works in, in multiple of these scenarios. Specifically with a, with a CIO hat on out of one of those four scenarios, Frank, is there anything just to kind of elaborate on that example? Say the play to your purpose, how could that impact a, a CIO, for example? Yeah. yeah, play to your purpose is an interesting one. It describes a further fragmentation of society, but at the same time, the voice of society is, is very decisive. So people are willing to enforce what they stand for. And this means a further parallelization of society. Specifically for the CIO, uh, what we already have is that we have um, clouds that work in, in separate uh, regions. Data sovereignty, uh, this is called. Make sure that the data is being uh, stored in, in, in the place where it, where it belongs. So we have already have a geographical data sovereignty. But imagine your customer base also demanding that there is fragmentation in the data on how it is being used. Uh, for machine learning, for instance. So now that makes artificial intelligence incredibly complicated because you have to figure out what are my customer segments here and what data can I use for machine learning and what data can I not use for machine learning because people do not want their data to be used for different markets with different types of purposes. So it is an incredible complication on how you need to organize your data governance and the data sovereignty of an organization. So you'll see, and I think that that is the point that may, maybe when when we started this segment on the impact of society that the the first thought is like yeah but that how does that really matter for an it function or for a data function but there there's a pretty direct link in keeping the finger on the pulse and how it either makes your job easier or or greatly complicates the the job that you have in front of you I think one point I would make is so many IT organizations are struggling to find the right talent these days. And the the different scenarios that Frank laid out, I think, are applicable at your know, kind of an individual level as well as at a societal level. So if you're thinking about what do you as an organization stand for and how do you want to engage, you can make that part of your play to attract talent to your organization because you can find people who you know, whose values you might represent and who will choose to work for you as a manifestation of those values, not just as a paycheck. I don't know, Frank, if that was something you were, had in mind for it, but that was something that struck me as listening to it. 
Yeah, yeah. In uh, in other places where we discussed this this scenario, were also at a CIO dinner. And the conversation quickly quickly turns to a conversation between the CIOs, where they all came to the conclusion that their staff, their departments, are looking to them as a leader to also find out where do you stand in in terms of diversity, or where where do you stand in terms of universal basic income. Or where do, you, where do you stand on on any other social issue that is playing, uh, maybe including climate change? Um, also, staff, also people uh, within the companies are looking to their leaders uh, to take a position and speak out. Yeah, Frank, I think that's a great point. But I have, I do have a prediction that I know will come true. <laughs> the only thing that you can do to prepare for the future that's coming, no matter what it is, is in people as a leader creating leaders, um, resilience, people who can stand up to the pace, people who stand up to change, constant reskilling. If you f- if you continuously focus on that with people, resilient human beings are really what matters. So no matter what scenario you're in, you should think about investing in that. And that helps with the talent problem as well. The more you train your people, the more you give them, uh, the longer they're going to stay with you, the better you'll retain them. The, you know, we have a survey that indicates that although compensation is number one, of course, because we work, m- most of us work for money, but we also want jobs that we enjoy. The second thing, the second most common thing in the employee value proposition is training. So don't assume that uh, you can only have people from the outside or only hire people that have a certain kind of background or degrees. How about all the talented people who are already in your organization, who could learn, who could go further? I think that's the only way that we can, you know, that's never going to be a bad investment. That's, that's the only way to future-proof, a term I don't like, by the way, but it can be done with that focus. We're coming towards the end. So just... Notes I've been taking, you know, this is a, was a DNA summit, a DNA conference, but we talked about societal change, decision-making, resilience, the human element of all of this, which maybe are themes that you, know, you wouldn't have maybe instantly expected when you think about DNA. So that's been fascinating. To wrap up, I'll go to each of you in order, maybe just for one takeaway that a CIO could take action on quickly to move the needle to, to, to really make an impact as it relates to the intersection of DNA and, and technology. Deb, we'll come to you first. What, what, would, uh, what would be that piece of advice? If you're not already best friends with the CDAO or that person doesn't report to you, or that's your best friend, uh, working together. And yes, there are conflicts, right? You got to work those out. But, you know, as I always say at Gartner, there's plenty of work to go around for CIOs CDOs and everybody that reports to them and everybody in the organization. There's plenty of work to go around. So that would be my piece of advice for you. Invest in data literacy for the for the organization. You can invest millions and millions and millions in common data platforms, self-service, reporting tools, decision intelligence technology. You can create business cases that will earn millions back. But if the data literacy levels in the organizations are insufficient, none of it will be successful. I would think about a decision that your organization made really well, right? Think about something that your organization did that just defined the best of who you are 
and generated the best outcome. Not a data analytics decision, not an IT decision. I'm talking like a real business outcome, business impact decision. And then think about what the role was that IT had in that, and the role that data analytics had in that. And think about how you replicate that contribution to every other decision your organization is making. Deborah, Frank, Gareth, thanks so much for taking the time out to share your experiences and insights from the DNA Summit. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.